Hey everyone, it's Arnold with Warm Welcome. Hope you're keeping well, keeping safe. And today we're sitting down with Sandro from Sanzo Sparkling Water. If you've heard of it, if you've had it, if you've yet to have it, you're definitely gonna wanna have to try after this episode. And um, this is not an ad, not a sponsorship, but rather I've seen his product, his cans in a lot of the restaurants that we featured on the podcast. And they're these bright, wonderfully branded cans that come in three flavors currently, uh, lychee, calamansi, and mango. And what's different from Sanzo as opposed to maybe a lot of the other sparkling water brands that you see out there and that are popular. So there's a few that come to mind, right? Topo Chico is a really big one. And then there's obviously La Croix, Spindrift, Pepsi launched Bubbly as well. So there's a lot of players in the space but in my opinion, I think Sandra has done a really wonderful job with Sanzo because it's inherently inspired by Asian American flavors and Asian fruits. And that's really the origin story, right? It's, it's really revolved around representation or the lack thereof, especially in the market aisles. And so we talk a little bit about how he came to start Sanzo some struggles and challenges along the way and uh, where he finds himself now. And it's been a really, really exciting journey that I'm really looking forward to sharing with you all too. So um, without further ado, this is my conversation with Sandro from Sanzo Sparkling Water. Uh, County is Middlesex and the town is called Sayreville. Um, it's in central New Jersey and, uh, it, it's major calling card. It's the birthplace of, uh, or hometown, sorry, of John Bon Jovi. <laughs> yes. I grew up in a town that was predominantly Italian American, Irish American, and Polish American. So even when I think about like, you know, let's say inspirations for the brand or even like when I, even when I think about something like comfort foods, I'm like, so, uh, I, I, I wish I could tell people that like, you know, I just dream of, you know, when I was seven years old, my mom making me like XYZ Filipino dish and whatnot. But honestly, like my go-to, my go-to comfort food legit is like chicken parm. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I don't know. Like we were, we grew up in a, I guess like in a bit more of like an assimilatory um, environment. And so I just learned actually pretty early on about eating other cultures, like foods and kind of exploring other other people's culture yeah basically exploring culture um through food so uh yeah yeah you you grew up in new jersey you were born in flushing so when did you when did you move over to jersey oh i was in flushing for maybe like three days <laughs> um, yeah it's kind of a yeah um basically my parents had moved but then you know, she kept their ob um and so was there for a, a very short period of time. <laughs> Obviously I did, I, you know, I did a little homework on you, man. And I'm just so fascinated because before Sanzo, um, you were doing like real estate, you were in the startup scene and, but nothing in food and beverage, right? Nothing in food and beverage, just an avid, uh, eater and drinker. <laughs> yeah. So talk to me a little about, about like what you were doing before you founded Sanzo. Yeah. So right out of college, right out of university. Um, so graduated in 2009 into the, you know, right into the, into, into the great recession. And my degree was in chemical engineering. So not anything 
that normally finds jobs in New York City. Um, and so, yeah, right. So I worked for my first three years as an engineer at a nuclear power plant in central, in, in central PA. Uh, it's about as far away, you know, culturally and pace wise as you can possibly get. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's a good thing, you know, they don't put nuclear power plants, you know, anywhere really near big metropolitan areas. Um, even getting into the plant itself, you have to basically uh, park like 10, 15 minutes away and walk down, walk across a parking lot. The, like the security, as again, as you might imagine, it's a bunch of ex uh, Navy SEALs with like M15s gr- greeting you at 6.30 in the morning. Um, so very different work environment, but learn, but learn, you know, I, I have a great appreciation um, you know, for folks who work in, let's say, like manufacturing facilities, especially like unionized laborers, um, stuff like that. Like, I just, yeah. And then obviously, like, folks who work in, you know, in, in kind of like essential, uh, essential jobs, you know, at, 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 you know, the plant runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, um, yeah. Um, so, you know, that was my first stop. Then for two years after that, uh, worked on the, on the trading floor of JP Morgan. Um, which was like my first real introduction. I mean, I, 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 I had taken some classes in finance, but uh, you know, really wanted to kind of understand more about how I guess money flowed across, like you know, around the world and like throughout like the system. Like my, my take was the way you learn about the world is kind of following the money. And so you know, those and so those and so those two years, yeah, learned a lot about how money flows. <laughs> um, and, and, and also like, yeah, I, th- I think in, in some ways it's like a, it's a bit of like a, a yin yang thing where the power plant was just so out of, like in the middle of nowhere, just really didn't feel like I was touching anything that was like related to anything current. I mean, nuclear power, like this, I mean, nuclear power plants, it's not to get not like too crazily into this, but um, you know, this one was among the newer power plants in the United States. And it, and by that, it means that it was built in the late 80s, but designed in the late 60s. So from a technological standpoint, you're not even close to what, you know, modern day technology does. Um, and, and so I wanted to go like the complete opposite way. And I was just like, I want to know how everything works in the world at a very like macro level. And so, yeah, you know, two, two years on a trading floor, I think certainly helped, helped that. Um, and then the five years before starting Sanzo, uh, you know, basically I think like the working in finance was great, but then I was like, well, I'm not actually building anything here or, or there's nothing very tactical, like tactile here. Um, and so wanted to get into, into like the startup scene and kind of roll my, um, you know, roll my sleeves up and get my hands, you know, dirty. So I worked for five years at a company called Bombfell, which is an online personal styling service for men. Um, started out just kind of doing, like I was their second business hire. Um, you kind of did everything from marketing, customer service, uh, and operations, and then eventually became their head of growth and then chief of staff. So uh, got to, you know, prepare stuff for our board meetings uh, and just, you know, got to participate in some really cool conversations strategically for how a, you know, like a venture backed business grows. So, uh, yeah, my, I spent, uh, the way I like to say, like I spent my twenties very, very confused and just trying to learn about, I guess. And, and with that level of confusion, I was like, well, all right, if I don't know what I'm going to do, I'm going to just try to learn about a bunch of different things. 
Yeah. Actually, I like that mindset. Maybe that's the mindset I should adopt, especially with the pandemic. I, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's a good approach, man. And, um, and, and I guess since we're kind of on this pathway already, t- tell me about your inspiration for starting your brand, because I, I heard about how, I think you, you had referenced HMART at one point for, for one of your inspirations too, for starting this. I'd love to hear a, a little bit about that too. Yeah. So, you know, in mid 2018, while I was working at that startup, um, you know, our offices are, were located right around, uh, right around K-Town. Yeah. And, you know, at that time, I mean, Crazy Rich Asians was like, it was like killing it. I mean, I think it ended up becoming the number one film at the box office for that summer and the number six, um, number six grossing romantic comedy in the United States of all time. That's, That's wild, like, man. Enough. It's wild, right? Um, you know, K-pop was going crazy. And then like, I mean, and I'm kind of preaching to, I think, the, uh, the, the choir here, but you know, you just saw so much Asian slash AAPI excellence yeah. um, happening across Definitely. so many different verticals. And it, ju- and like, and, and when I kind of married that with, you know, at my, at our tech office, you know, we drank a lot of sparkling water, uh, had a lot of sparkling water in our fridges and it was the same like lime, lemon, grapefruit. Right, right. And so I was just like, well, what if you, I mean, specifically the first, flavor inspiration was calamansi, which is, uh, you know, folks don't know it's a Filipino lime orange hybrid. And I kind of think of it as honestly like the best possible version of a citrus fruit in the world. Like it's combination of tart and sweet. Um, and just, I think tastes amazing in a, in a spark in a sparkling beverage. And so, um, but you know, that so this is the initial inspiration was like, Hey, like why couldn't this category that's got such uh, tailwind behind it, like benefit from additional like flavor inspirations, um, and, and, and like and you, yeah, you know, like part of that was a trip to H Mart when you kind of saw the beverage section, and it was it, it it seemed to have a very clear divide between um, you know like the quote unquote American beverages that you know especially as you follow this you open this Pandora's box and follow and follow it all the way down the rabbit hole. Sorry, that's like two completely not similar analogies there. <laughs> but, like, but like once you start following that you know, you know that i guess like the money trail really yeah it's you know, like a lot of these brands you know not really started by uh you know, like, like quote-unquote american brands kind of incubated by the same agencies venture capital firms um in some ways the same i'll say founder yeah. uh, archetype and you know just didn't just yeah, that wasn't really representing, you know, I'll say like me. And then I got to the Asian section, you know, and I love those beverages. I mean, I still drink, you know, Ito N's, uh, green tea, green tea yeah. you know, at least like, like once a week, but then like, you know, grass jelly drink, Cal Pico, right. uh, you know, you name it, you know, th- like Ramune, like yeah, I love these beverages, but ultimately for me, just like my own consumption behaviors and just brand just didn't feel like there was anything there that like really to me represented all those cultural phenomena that, you know, I, I, I kind of talked about previously. So, um, that was it. It just felt like, and I look like, I mean, obviously that I saw a bit of like a business opportunity, but more than anything, it was, it was like, how can we put plug this cultural gap? I mean, you see all these restaurateurs, you know, we talked about Lucas sin and rich Ho and, you know, Jimmy uh, and, you know, the Madam Bo team and all these folks who are doing such amazing work to, to, to really move the food scene forward. Yeah. And like, was there a space in CPG 
um, you know, to help them do the same. Cause like a lot of, even I was, you know, was going, when I was going to their restaurants and looking at their beverage offerings, I was like, yeah, there's really nothing here that really does it. It's like you're carrying, it's like you're carrying like San Pellegrino or Perrier or you're carrying like, you know, like the Royal milk teas and whatnot. That's awesome. And I love those drinks, but like, it didn't feel like there's anything that was hitting that gap on, on the, be- on the beverage side. So yeah, I rambled a bit there, but yeah, that's kind of the inspiration. <laughs> So I don't want to like boil it down and oversimplify this, but would you, would it be fair to say that basically you didn't see yourself on that shelf? Like there was no representation there in, in a traditional, in any of these markets or restaurants. Exactly. I, I think that's probably, I think that's definitely the, the easiest way to say it. And I think yeah. if I'm the, what I've learned, especially over the last year, year and a half and how that thinking to me has evolved is this beverage, this brand. And I guess like myself as a founder, I've become like, part of this community of folks and whether it's in restaurants or in Hollywood or whatnot, where like, we didn't feel like we saw ourselves. So we're doing it in X way. It's just how we're manifesting this, you know, like otherness uh, and trying to bridge culture. So like, that's kind of been the evolution for me. It's like, yes, it started out with, I will say like a negative, which is like, Hey, I don't see myself here. And now it's, Hey, there's this growing community and this like cultural, like, wave of folks who are supporting each other across different verticals. How can I add value to that, you know, community to that ecosystem? So, yeah. Wow. Okay. And so now we're talking about shelf space and, and, and how your brand look, I kind of want to talk about your branding work too. Cause I really love the design on the cans. Like I love the bright colors and they really, they really stand out on a shelf. So I'm sure there was a lot of thought process and intention, you know, on intentionality that went into the, to the, to, you know, the actual packaging and whatnot. So I would love to talk about the inspiration. Cause I think the inspiration behind it was a jeepney, right? It was. Yeah. You really did your research. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, the, the biggest thing in, that I have kind of learned. So uh, I went through at my last startup was pretty heavily involved in our company's rebranding process. And uh, it worked out in a couple different ways. I mean, the most tactical one is the agency that did our rebranding work at that company um, also did the branding work for Sanzo. Oh, um, got so, it. so that relationship was super like awesome to have. Uh, so that's a purely tactical thing. But the other thing that I feel like I learned was the importance of, um, you know, agency brand fit. Right. And so, you know, like there's a lot of different agencies that do amazing work, but they have to jive with what you're going for. You know, what might work well for, I don't know, like a daily harvest may not work as well for a uh, Sanzo and that may not work as well for an, for an, for an Omsom or a new Yen coffee supply. Right. Um, so, what was what to me was super important was like I identified a bit like qualitatively. This is just my own take. Where I was like, I really wanted to have like I really believe that the uh, the ultimate like voice and face and like of who I was going to for Sanzo was a woman of color. Um, you know, like I'm you know like a male and so I have my own different like biases or whatnot. And I was like, I don't know how well I'm going to design or like live and breathe this voice. Um, and so knowing that I was like, well, I need, I wanted my agency um, to be either 
woman, uh, like a woman-led agency or a person of color-led agency. And fortunately, um, you know, Jolene, who runs the Working Assembly, and that's uh, you know, that's the name of the agency that we work with. Um, she's Korean American, so uh, you know, kind of got both in one. Oh, you <laughs> got know, everything. <laughs> got, got everything in one in in one package. And you know, when I pitched her. Uh, the idea, because yeah, I, I self-financed this in the beginning, and so really didn't have a ton of money that I could afford to put into it. Um, you know, she really bought in, and like, you know, she, gosh, like, it, it almost, it, 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 at this rate, it's almost like a pro bono level of, uh, of fee that she gave me to do what I think has been like amazing packaging work. And I think it's because she really, you know, she resonated with the vision. She, you know, we had that relationship from the from the previous agency, and so. You know, when I put together our mood boards, uh, you know, color palette, things like that, you know, between her, uh, myself, and the designer and, and the designing team that, you know, that, that worked with her. Um, yeah, Jeepney. Yeah, I think they also knew that I was Filipino American. And so, you know, the Jeepney was one of the first things that we were like, huh, well, isn't this an interesting way to like spin? Like add some. Oh, 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 one thing I'll say: the biggest thing that I put in my mood board was I wanted a level of funk. Um, that was like the that was like the operative word. Like what I felt like was happening in a lot of design, uh, especially for a lot of like millennial and like direct consumer esque brands, was the super like like white background type, like Brooklyn hipster, like white tile style of branding. And I was like, I just specifically felt like. For this brand, I it, 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 it like felt like if we were going for you know increased representation and stuff like that, I was like, yeah, we need to have a little bit more funk um, if we're gonna uh, like succeed uh, in this space. And so that's you know all of those things really help drive the initial um, yeah the initial brand strategy. Yeah, I mean the the branding is is awesome, man. I love I love the cans and the way they look and the colors and it just. Just everything looks very seamless. But one of the things you just mentioned is uh, self-financing and bootstrapping this project. And I think uh, even even right now, you're, you know, you're a one-person team, right? You're the only full uh, you know full-time employee at, at Senzo. Is that correct? I am, and I, and I will say the whole uh, self-financing thing was a great, uh, I guess, narrative. Although just last Friday we announced a $1.3 million seed round. So out of, I guess, out of, out of the self-financing stage, um, but you know, yeah, did, did do that for a bit, but yeah, now, you know, we've been able to prove the concept out a, a bit more and, it, and it's made sense to raise some capital and, you know, expand the brand a bit, but uh, yeah, no, for the first, but yeah, still currently uh, a one person full-time team, although I am starting to, uh, you know, I just posted our first uh, job postings. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, a rewarding, but yeah, definitely at times a bit of a lonely journey. I, I, I will, I will, I will admit that. Yeah. Well, I do want to take it back to 2018 when you, when you were first starting out and I'm sure this, these, these were the days that you were probably like literally, you know, like yourself going door to door, maybe I kind of want to hear more about your, your strategy. And I know Mofuku was one of your first five accounts too. how you, how you nailed that. I'm really curious about. So if you don't mind kind of talking about the, the early days. Yeah. So, you know, the biggest thing that I, uh, and this, look, and a lot of these were learnings that I got from cold outreaches to other beverage entrepreneurs um, who then led to conversations with other folks. And it just basically like, I just started learning 
the early stages of this industry from just like some just like super generous folks. And, you know, one of the biggest things I told myself was you need to first prove out the concept. So a lot of times folks might come in and just try to do big production runs and just kind of go, you know, like scorched earth tactic. Like we're going to launch in a whole bunch of different like retail stores and this, that, and the other. And for mine, I mean, one, that takes a lot more money that I didn't have. And two, just felt like I needed to understand like not only who this brand was for, but also like, should this brand even exist? Like, is there a need for this world to have this brand? I, and, uh, and like, I, 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 like having that threshold of like the world needs this, I felt like was kind of necessary for me to like keep going on. And so, you know, uh, cause I didn't want to just create something that was just like, Oh, this is a nice little brand that sits on shelves. Like for me, it was like, if I'm going to dedicate the next presumably five to 10 years of my life, it needed to feel like, okay, I'm doing this because the world actually kind of needs this brand. And look, I'm not, you know, an essential worker doing anything that's saving lives, but from a consumer standpoint, you know, if you're kind of saying in that realm, I was like, yeah, wanted to feel like, there was a real like uh, like true demand for something like this to exist. And so in the earliest days, it was like, all right, let's produce the smallest batches we can possibly produce and sell through it. And like, if we sell it well, then that money feeds the next production run. And like, that's also, uh, and that's also a good point of validation to say, okay, invest more into like bigger runs, invest more into, you know, more branding or, um, other things like that. And so, uh, you know, like when I first started out, it was me taking, you know, the, the subway or Uber pools at like six in the morning. So I was, sur- so I was saving on surge pricing, um, you know, things like that. And, you know, I really wanted to take a, like a very disciplined approach to like every part of the business, which included, yeah, I wasn't just going to like take a $50 Uber at like like one o'clock in the afternoon when there's going to be a ton of cross, tra- uh, cross town traffic. Like I wanted to like I wanted to, I wanted to like ruthlessly like prioritize my time. So like deliveries happen for a lot of grocery stores and, you know, restaurants and stuff like in the mornings. So I was like, I was going to, you know, get up and, you know, do that. Um, and you know, I feel like I learned so much about, um, you know, like restaurateurs, distributors, like just like the real, like the people who actually make New York City run. Like, you know, I, I, I honestly can't go into a restaurant and, or, or a grocery store in like the same fashion that I did before this business. Like, I just, I just like, I feel like I just see things. I, well, I feel like I just see the people a lot differently. Like, you know, the, the folks who are getting up at like three, four o'clock in the morning to, you know, take the subway out from, you know, deeper parts of Queens or Brooklyn or, uh, or even like the suburbs to, to make it to their job. Like it's just, it, I think you just see the business like, like a lot differently that way. Um, but you know, where, what I got really excited about was, you know, the first maybe like three to four doors is like a combination of like, of a, uh, Asian American owned, um, you know, restaurants and then also like natural food stores. So the number, so the first, the first store that took us in, uh, market in Chelsea called, uh, called foragers, um, 22nd and eighth Avenue. Amazing for anyone who's trying to launch a CPG product. Um, it is literally their job to find the, the newest, uh, and great, the newest and latest. Um, so one of the things there for me was if I can't get into this store, then the brand isn't good enough yet. Um, that was my take. Cause it was like, I didn't want, 
like knowing that that is where the best brands go, I was like, yeah, if we're not good enough for here and this world of consumer packaged goods is like super, super competitive, then I was like, then it's not going to make it like, right. It's like, if I can't make it to the, in, into these independent stores, how am I going to make it in whole foods? How am I going to eventually make it to like, you know, you know, other stores down the line. Um, but fortunately they took us in and then that gave me a little bit of confidence um, to, to like to reach into like, you know, like a network that had been growing. And basically uh, there's a guy that I knew whose venture capital firm, um, you know, is one of the lead investors in Momofuku. And so we reached out to him. He was able, like, fortunately, it was just kind of crazy, crazy, like coincidences that when we met up at this like dinner thing, that the very next day they had their board meeting with Dave and the whole Momofuku team. So gave him samples. It got to Dave. Dave loved it. And then, you know, the wheels were set in motion. So, sorry, that was a bit, a bit circuit, a bit long-winded. But like, you know, if I think if there's any lesson, it's just like literally knock on every door you possibly can, um, you know, develop really good relationships with folks. And then, yeah, it, it may not be immediate, but if you're developing and maintaining relationships in the right way, um, you know, fortuitous things like that uh, can happen. And then, you know, like that fortunately you know, as you might imagine, like served as a bit of a flywheel, right? Like you get into Momofuku, then you might be able to start selling, you know, other restaurateurs, other markets. Um, and so it just kind of built, you know, like step by step from, from there. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great, a great, great, great restaurant account. You know, obviously they have more than that one location they've expanded since then. And, you know, um, a lot of, a lot of restaurateurs know Dave too. Oh yeah. I was like, unfortunately I've contracted a little bit now with yeah. COVID. Yes. But yeah. Um, the, 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 so you mentioned the CPG space and how competitive it is, which I think everyone knows, but do you ever feel like you being Filipino American has been um, maybe a challenge for you at any times during this two year journey so far? Yeah. I mean, look like the, the value chain. And so, that, and what I mean by that is, uh, suppliers who have, you know, juices and purees, the people who sell you your cans. Um, you know, the next step is who is manufacturing? Cause in this world, you tend to go with what's called, uh, like a co-manufacturer or like a contract manufacturer. So, you know, I'm not producing the beverages myself. We work with a facility and there's a whole cottage industry of folks who just produce other folks's like food and beverage, beverage, food and beverage products. But so to there, to the distributors and to the retailers themselves, you know, the people who, you know, are at these natural food stores and decide what goes on shelf. And even more than that, where in the store gets placed. Um, it is still a relatively homogenous um, scene. You know, I think it's, I think they are, especially in light of, um, you know, the, so, the social justice movement that's been happening post George Floyd, I think you're seeing quite a bit now of a, of a, of a deliberate, like explicit approach across the value chain to be better, which I think is awesome. And I, I do want to give props to, um, you know, to people in that space who are doing, who are doing that good work. Um, but up until then, and you know, that's literally, you know, June, right. So three months ago, um, it had been just super, yeah, it's been relatively homogenous. And so I don't want to say like being specifically Filipino American, um, but like, you know, being a person of color who's just, I'll just say it's being not white. Um, 
you know, certainly I think makes you have to describe a bit more of the cultural trends that are going on. I mean, it's not as ingrained in everyone's heads as it might be for Asian Americans that, you know, Crazy Rich Asians got as big as it did, that Parasite won four Academy Awards and all these other statistics that I'm sure a lot of us who are Asian Americans and creatives in this space cite off because we're trying to get, you know, because like, we, we cite off these stats because we're trying to get the same people to like fund us, at, like, fund our projects and do all that. Right? So we have to know like, ooh, so-and-so raised this much money or so-and-so like, uh, you know, built this restaurant empire or, or you, you know, like starred in this movie. You know, we're all kind of drafting off of each other to to build this, you know, to build our own creative endeavors. So in that regard, like, I don't want to say specifically being Filipino American, um, but I'll say you know, being not of a traditional, I'll say like white male, or just frankly, just being white, I guess, in this space has certainly made it necessary for me to do more education. Um, and then like other, other things, you know, with fundraising that I, you know, I, I don't want to put it too much on, you know, my, my ethnicity, I think a, a bit of it was just kind of learning how to raise, how to sell the vision for this brand, um, and kind of what it takes to raise money, um, from folks. And like, yeah, like there's a lot, it's a pre, it can be pretty well documented, um, how much chest beating and bravado you need to have and, you know, and then how much that may skew towards white males. Um, but you know, I, I, I it's just like a game you have to, learn to play if you're going to, you know, be successful. And, and you know, I, 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 I wanted to go down the route of, you know, like I, my take is Sanzo, I think is, I think has the potential to be a very big brand. I mean, that's obviously, you know, like biased, but that's also why I started it. But so if you want to play as a big brand, you know, you do have to bring, um, you know, certain investors on board to be able to fund those dreams because, you know, the, the world of beverages is not cheap. And so, uh, yeah, a bit of a long-winded way of answering your question, but you know, I guess wanted to be thorough with my uh, kind of how I processed the last like year of fundraising and growing the business. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, and, and for for capturing kind of what you're going through too, like the thought process. Um, the I don't like to backpedal, but I, I I completely forgot to ask, and I've been personally curious about this. Is there a meaning to the name Sanzo? Like, does it mean anything? So it doesn't really, it is a mashup of my first and middle names. Um, so my first name is Alessandro and my last name and my middle name is Lorenzo. And, uh, you know, like when I was coming up with this brand, I, I, what I wanted, I had actually very specific criteria. Uh-huh. I wanted it to be a bisyllabic word. So two syllables yeah. that ended in a vowel. Uh-huh. Where the name itself wasn't, it didn't already have a meaning attached to it, but you could basically say, yeah, all right, that could be a fizzy drink. Uh. Um, and, and so, like, the letter Z in particular was like, you know, with like fizz, you yeah. know, it's got a bit of like an on, onomatopoeic yeah. uh, aspect to it. And so, like, basically, I had like six or seven other ideas jotted down, but yeah. they were already trademarked. They ordered. Tra- they ordered trademarked, and so uh, fortunately, Sanzo was not. And uh, yeah, once we started building out like the branding, the packaging, and whatnot, I was like, "Ooh, this actually kind of fits well." Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I th- I always thought it was a really great name, but I was just curious to see if there was a if if, if it meant something in maybe you know your your mother language, but 
that's still like really cool that you, it also seems you were very specific. <laughs> you have very specific parameters, <laughs> which is uh, pretty awesome. Like you, you know what you want. So that's good. <laughs> and for, for this particular creative endeavor, just, yeah, there's a, an element of like, yeah, just like inspiration. I was like, yeah, I think we want to set these kind of constraints on, on like on something like a brand name. And so it just kind of worked out. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, and it's also, I think it has a lot of meaning because in, in a way, right? Like you didn't see yourself portrayed or represented in the aisle. And it's kind of like you yourself are kind of synonymous with your product too. You know, when I think about Sanzo, I actually think about you a lot in your story. Right. And I think that's pretty awesome that that has that meaning, especially with the name origin. Um, yeah. I, I appreciate that. And to be honest, that was a bit of like an uncomfortable, um, thing to face. I mean, there's a level of, I guess, vanity with putting uh, your name or, or a derivative of your name on a, you know, on, 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 on a package. But, um, and then even just in general, I've thought a lot about like, how much do I want to be the face of the brand versus like letting the brand try to like do its own, do its own work. Um, but I've just gotten so much encouragement from, especially the Asian American community um, to you know be out there. So, you know, to the extent I'm you know, trying to do well by, you know, by, you know, by and for the community. And so, um, you know, see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hey, your name is on the line. So <laughs> I know, right? no, yeah, no yeah, pressure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Uh, but the, the last topic I kind of want to talk about is obviously, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You definitely mentioned some social justices and, and, and issues that have been brought to light recently, but, with COVID, I'm so interested to hear because I think I've read somewhere that your sales have been up, but I also feel obviously like your restaurant accounts are probably not obviously doing as well, maybe, and you're not moving as much product in restaurants. So, so how, how has it been for you with, with your brand throughout the last, oh my gosh, like, you know, four or five months now? Uh, and I know you've also been donating towards healthcare heroes. And I think in the beginning, I saw something about Winsun. So, so talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So to that point, yeah, go like up until, you know, early mid March, our go to market had really been by with, you know, partnering with, you know, amazing restaurateurs. You mentioned Winson, yeah, Trig, Calvin, that whole team, amazing. Same with, uh, you know, we did all, you know, a d- decent amount of work as well with Moonland Stai uh, at, at Kopi at Um And so, like, like that was, you know, I, I really wanted, yeah, I have such a respect for people who work in restaurants. And so like it actually partially was like a personal validation thing for me that I got the nod from the folks who run these amazing restaurants. Uh, and, and, and that was just kind of like a way to initially like, you know, build the brand, you know, co- like co-market, things like that. Once, once the pandemic hit to that exact point, literally the wholesale orders just completely stopped. Um, but, but our whole, but our e-commerce business, uh, has just really fueled the fire for the last six months. Uh, the last, yeah, yeah, basically, basically the last six months, um, we're up like 600% <laughs> on our e-commerce business. And basically that it's fueled everything. Um, you know, it's fueled our, our fundraise, you know, we're now, you know, we, we're, that's served as a really good thesis for launching into retail. And when we're launching, and as we're launching in retail, it's going to be more grocery driven just because, yeah, unfortunately, you know, food service, um, you know, it, it, we, we don't, we unfortunately don't know, uh, you know, when that, 
uh, channel is going to come back in in a really earnest way. And so, yeah, we're launching with whole. We have you know we're launching in the first of fifty Whole Foods across you know between Western Connecticut and and uh, South Jersey. Um, we have a whole bunch of other retail launches uh, coming up in the next month or two. Um, and, and so you know, we we are very fortunate that our business can ship to all 50 states, right? You know, we're not, you know, you don't have to come into our store and get the full experience in order to get our brand, our, our brand, right? It's actually meant to be consumed, you know, wherever you are, either at home in, you know, Des Moines, Iowa, or in your apartment in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. So, um, you know, we're very fortunate to have a business that just kind of plays in that space. Yeah. Well, let, let me ask you this, because you had mentioned your thing about, you know, Sanzo in the five, next five, 10 years. And I've also read an interview about how, you know, once you do well, it's not, a, it's not about you retiring off to an island, right? So what, what, is your, what is your ultimate goal with Sanzo? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the mission, and I will throw out a nod here to Andrew Chow and Ben Chen, who are the uh, co-founders of Boba Guys and um, also like super early supporters of the brand. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're, their big thing was, was bridging cultures. And, you know, I, I kind of consider myself, uh, you know, maybe the next generation that, that, that subscribes to that mentality. Um, so, you know, the, the, the actual mission statement of Sanzo is um, to uh, bridge cultures through connecting people to global flavors. And so, you know, five, 10 years, if we're going down like the, the ultimate like vision, it's, you know, I definitely want and have so appreciated um, you know, how Asian Americans have embraced this brand as their own, um, you know, that, that, you know, that aspect of feeling seen, I think has been, you know, so enriching to my life. I mean, forget about the business, like, you know, just having that is just been so fulfilling, but I think, especially in a super, you know, polarized time and, you know, we're heading into, you know, an election in the next, you know, three months, uh, you know, I, have like, my goal is, to I, like basically introduce these flavors in, a, in, in, in the most um, respectful way to folks not of this community. And, you know, there's an element of me where I was like, I have a feeling that if I don't pursue this, that someone else might, and maybe they're not, all, and maybe they're not of this community and maybe doesn't do it, you know, the proper justice that it, it you know, that needs to be done. Um, you know, I, I kind of, you know, not to, it's really not to throw any kind of shade at anyone because, you know, business owners, I really don't begrudge anyone. But like, I do feel in a way that if we're talking beverages, that like matcha has been kind of lost by Asian Americans. Um, and, and so I'm like, I, there's, you know, fine. There's a, and I think if you're a business person, like you have to have a little bit of a competitive streak in you. And my take was, I don't want, someone not who's not Filipino or even Asian American owning or, or profiting off of Calamansi. And it's like, you know, I, I don't really feel that way. Like, like if someone wants to build a brand doing it, like fine. But I just felt like, you know, it would be kind of great if someone of the community like owned that a bit because, you know, just by the nature of my upbringing, um, you know, just felt a, a need to like, you know, Paid both back to people who've you know, who who like blazed the trail, but also paid forward to other uh, you know, like Asian Americans and just 
brown people um, who are building, you know, amazing things. And so, you know, we kind of alluded to it, how, you know, when the pandemic hit, you know, we were making contributions to employee relief funds um, for COVID-19, you know, especially the ones who are hit hardest are undocumented immigrants who oftentimes work back of house and, you know, have the least amount of protections, um, you know, in, in the industry, uh, you know, that kind of stuff is important to me. And so, um, you know, that, that is going to be more of a focus for our brand, especially as we've now, you know, raised this level of funding and can kind of grow the brand more is, you know, we want to bridge cultures. And, and, and I will say, and I want to be very clear, like we're not just building a brand for white people. Like when I say it's not just Asian Americans and the white people who date them, it's kind of how I joke about it. But like, it's really, you know, and look, look, we, and this is like a, probably a deeper conversation around how potentially yeah, like Asian Americans have not been the best allies to other uh, uh, communities of color, especially the Black community, and how I think we're trying to get you know we're trying to get better at that as well. So you know, it's all just trying to like continue to push this cultural conversation forward. And I do think that really fortunately through this brand have a potential, have potentially a platform with which to do it that may be different from a restaurant. Cause again, with a restaurant and I take, you know, you know, Momofuku is a great example of how, you know, with everything that Dave and that team has built, it's amazing, but like still for the most part, you know, you can only really experience their brand if you live in certain, um, you know, major metropolises. And like, I know, you know, they have the, the salts and uh, now the chili crisp that's, you know, you know, trying to bridge that. But, you know, I like the, the thing that would make me happiest or like for most fulfilled, I think as a brand owner, how I feel like we have like kind of set out on our agenda and like accomplished it is if we are selling really well in a town like Des Moines, Iowa, or like Des Moines, Iowa, or like or like Columbus, Ohio, because that at that point, you know, especially if we're abiding by like like the core values that we're trying to do, then that means we've made you know like a step in the right direction for bridging cultures. If, if folks in those communities um, can really get on board, and so like yeah, again, like a bit of a long-winded answer to your question, but. Um, it, it is one that for me has a lot of nuance. Um, and so I, I wanted to get that across as like comprehensively as possible. It is both for the AAPI community that supports us super well, but also to the broader community that, you know, we can still educate um, about these flavors and about our um, cultures. Yeah. Well, listen, man, I, I honestly really appreciate everything you said today, but honestly what you stand for personally and from a brand perspective. And I think it's fair to say like the, the product is great, but it's really a vehicle for you, right? It's a vehicle for you to, for representation, for um, taking more ownership over the narrative, you know, over the Asian American narrative. So, uh, I mean, I'm a big fan um, and I really just appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. And I think that um, if people listening have not tried it yet, it is so easy to order. I just want to put that out there. Free shipping uh, nationwide. Again, thanks. Thanks for being with me, man. And I really, really appreciate the work you're doing uh, with your brand and the way you're doing it. That's it for today. Um, thank you, Sandro, for being on the podcast. And I don't know if I told you and to the listeners as well, Sandro, I, I, I invite on the podcast without ever trying his product. I tried his product after our interview. I ordered a case for myself uh, in LA as I'm in my new home. And I loved it. And I'll tell you why I chose Sandro without even tasting the product is because 
I've been following him on Instagram and he's such a huge supporter of the restaurant industry and the restaurant community at large, especially the Asian American community. And I love what he says, what he stands for. And uh, I knew that if I believe in the person behind the brand, that everything else will take care of itself. That's usually the case in my opinion. And um, I gotta say the product was awesome. The, the beverages are great. Uh, and if you haven't tried it yet, like I said, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but definitely give it a try. It's drinksanzo.com and it is a non-alcoholic beverage. It is sparkling water, which means that he can ship it straight to your door and you can order it direct on, directly online at their website. So that's again, drinksanzo.com and on Instagram, they are drinksanzo as well. So again, thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.